to you. We're going to turn now to the Word of God and the passage that was read earlier, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I'm not going to read a particular text because I want to speak to you uh, from the first six verses of this chapter. Now, if we've been saved by God's redeeming grace, the question arises, how then should we live? And one of the answers to that question is, we're not to live for ourselves anymore, but to live for the honour and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the good of uh, our neighbour whoever our neighbours might be, not necessarily next-door neighbours, but anyone who needs our help in some way or who can benefit from the words we may say or the opportunity we may have to pass on the word of God and the message of grace to them. Now, this chapter deals with charitableness and uh, not only charitableness in respect to monetary giving, perhaps, but about labouring for the Lord and, in particular, the theme of sowing and reaping. So it seems to me an appropriate passage of scripture to consider this evening in the light of what we've been saying already. Now I'm not to have certain headings necessarily but I want to just comment on each verse as we go through these first six verses. And verse one reminds us, cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days. Now what do you understand from that expression, cast thy bread upon the waters it's actually quite obscure isn't it but the interesting thing is although the figure of speech is obscure the meaning is quite clear now some have suggested what is being referred to here is is about um, uh, ships and uh, sending out exports so if you think of of ukraine like i mentioned earlier and in in the best times they would send something like 24 million tons of grain abroad so if you think about it it's casting their bread upon the waters it goes off to various parts of the world the ships come back perhaps laden with other goods for them or they come back with money they've received on account of the grain that they've sent out so they had to cast their bread upon the waters and be seen the, the results will be seen after many days others have suggested what is being referred to he's probably the Nile Delta, where after the rainy season is over and the waters have subsided, you've got large expanses of uh, nutrient-rich soil, just ideal for sowing the seed, and uh, very soon it will spring up and there may be a bumper harvest as a result. So in that sense, cast thy bread upon the waters and it shall be seen after many days. Now, although we cannot say for sure exactly what this figure of speech is referring to, we can see that the lesson that is being set before us, there's a precept and a promise, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. I think it was Matthew Henry who said, the promises give life to the precepts. The promises received by faith give life to the precepts. So when God exhorts us to do a certain thing, often there's a promise associated with it to encourage us to do that very thing. And that's certainly the case here. So we are to, to labour, we are to as it were, cast our bread upon the waters, for there's a promise of blessing and prosperity to some degree at least as 
a result. So we're to launch forth, as it were, in the work of the Lord, knowing that as we labour, the Lord is going to use his word and use our witness in some way for his honour and his glory. And, of course, the lesson is that we don't expect immediate results. It will be seen after many days. It's the same lesson that is taught us in the epistle of James, where he says this, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. And as you well know, the farm he sows the seed, he doesn't come back the next day, or the next week, or even the next month, and expect a harvest. He has long patience for it. And likewise, we are to labour, not to be discouraged, because we haven't seen immediate results. We're to labour on knowing the Lord has a purpose in these things. So we labour obediently according to the precept, and we looked uh, prayerfully to the Lord for the fulfilment of the promise. But then we come down to verse 2, give a portion to 7 and also to 8. As you well know, the number 7 is often referred to as the perfect number. It speaks to us of completion. You think of uh, the completion of Noah's Ark and uh, God had called Noah to uh, come into the Ark with his family and uh, we're told there was yet seven days before the flood came. So the work was complete. It was a yet seven days of opportunity. And we're living in the yet seven days of the gospel, aren't we? Uh, Christ, the ark of grace, he has provided a complete salvation. And uh, we are to work and to labour to that end, reminding people the door is still open. The day will come when, just as it was with Noah's ark, the door was shut and God himself shut it. He will arise to shut the gospel door one day. And uh, it'll be too late then for people to seek to enter into the kingdom. So we are to remind ourselves and to remind others that there are yet seven days. The opportunity is still there. So a perfect number, completion. Christ has performed his work of salvation. He laboured, laboured in a way we cannot fully explain or comprehend to provide salvation. Suffering uh, in a way we cannot really begin to explain to provide that perfect salvation and atonement for sin. But what are we to understand of the number eight? Now, I think sometimes people can get a bit carried away in biblical numerology, but eight often, I think, is is a number that uh, reminds us of perhaps a new beginning. You think of eight people on the ark. When they came out of the ark, it was a new beginning, wasn't it? You think of seven days in one week. The eighth day is a new beginning, a new week. You think of the day of Pentecost, it fell on the eighth day, so seven whole weeks. And then the next day, the day of Pentecost, was a new beginning, wasn't it, of tremendous gospel blessing. And uh, the Lord does provide sometimes, in significant ways, new beginnings for individuals as believers and new beginnings for churches. Is it not true to say that this church has been given a new beginning? Surely we are to be up and doing and seeking to labour for the Lord for the furtherance of the gospel and for the good of his people. And the verse goes on to say, For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. We don't know what is coming. We're not to say to ourselves, Well, the days are so evil, I don't think there's anything we can do. We're not to sit by the fireside wringing our hands in despair, are we? 
we are to seek to do what we can do while the opportunities still exist to uh, preach the gospel and to gather people under the sound of the word and to broadcast the good seed of the word of life. Yes, there's evil to come. It may be that days will get much more dark than they are now, but we are to labour nevertheless. And as I mentioned earlier, we always have something to say. However dark the circumstances, how black people's lives become, how begrimed they may be with sin, and how distorted their lives may become, we always have something to say to them, just suited to their situation and their need. Verse 3 speaks to us about instrumentality. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. You think of the water cycle is quite uh, remarkable how in God's goodness and providence he controls the weather he set these things in motion and the evaporation and uh, the condensation of the evaporated uh, water and then uh, the clouds move and then the rain comes in other parts of the earth as a, a you can see God's wisdom in all these things the clouds give freely of what they have received and likewise we are to be the same the Lord has given to us of his good treasure, the grace of God in our hearts, his, his love and his mercy and his compassion towards us. We've come to know that. And therefore we're called to, to show and demonstrate something that to others. And to, as we've been blessed under the word ourselves, it's surely the most natural thing to want others to be blessed likewise through the word of God. So we'd be aiming to be like clouds, as it were, to be instruments of showers of blessing in other people's lives and the verse goes on to say if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth there it shall be we live in a world of leaning trees don't we the vast majority of people leaning the wrong direction leaning hellward aren't they instead of heavenward and it's a very sobering uh, aspect of christian ministry or personal witness that we are dealing with people who have never dying souls on the road to a never ending eternity either of heaven or hell this verse reminds me of one of Isaac Watts famous verses as the tree falls there it shall lie to north or southward where it fell so men depart to heaven or hell fixed in the state wherein they die it's a very sobering message but we need to be reminded of that because surely this will spur us on in a sense of uh, concern and diligence and zeal before the work of the Lord, knowing that we may be, with God's help, instruments of delivering people from eternal misery, and uh, they may become the Lord's people and be found in heaven at last. And we may be the instrument, perhaps the chief instrument in some cases, of bringing people into that experience. Moving on to verse 4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. We're not to be hindered by discouragements. Surely that's the message of this verse. We're not to wait for ideal conditions. There are never going to be ideal conditions, but we are in a condition where the Lord has given us the message and we're to make use of the opportunities. Let us not fall into the snare of wishing that we lived in the 18th century revival. I think I have to confess I perhaps had rather romantic views of past ages and wished I'd lived in such times. If only we'd lived in revival times when thousands were pressing into the kingdom of God. 
But the Lord hasn't placed us in revival times, at least not at the present time. And uh, as much as we may be interested and encouraged by the 18th century awakening, the Lord didn't purpose that we should live in those times. And let us not wish that we lived in the 19th century, the great church and chapel building era when chapels were springing up all over the places and numerous congregations uh, were being established uh, along gospel lines. But we're not living in those days, and the Lord has purposed we're living in the 21st century with all its difficulties, all its problems, and uh, wholesale unbelief and rejection of the word. But we are to labour nevertheless in these circumstances. We're not to observe the wind. We are to uh, remember the Lord has placed us in these times. We are to sow the word nevertheless. For he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And we are encouraged, aren't we, elsewhere in the scriptures, you think of Psalm 126. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Verse 5 reminds us of the mysteriousness of God's work. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. Can you explain how a child, exactly what happens when a child is conceived, how it grows in the womb and develops? I can't explain it. I'm sure there are people who could explain these things uh, uh, to considerable detail, but there's still an element of mystery about it that people cannot really fathom. And likewise it's true concerning God's work, the moving, moving of his spirit the sovereignty of God in the work of salvation. And you think of Christ and his conception in the womb. Who can explain the moving of God's spirit upon the womb of the Virgin Mary and how the bones grew in her womb? The conception of Christ in his humanity, that God the Son never gave up his divinity, but his divinity was joined in a permanent union with our nature, human nature, and we cannot explain these things, it's beyond our comprehension, but we rejoice in it. Where reason fails with all her powers there, faith believes and love adores. That's how we have to come to these things. And likewise, how God works, how and when, and by what instrumentality, sometimes said God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks, and sometimes he uses people that may be quite off-beam when it comes to certain doctrines, but they may be genuine believers, and the Lord may use them. That doesn't mean we are to be careless about what we believe and what we preach and proclaim and what we stand for. But nevertheless, we are to seek to labour on knowing that God is able to use us with all our infirmities, all our deficiencies, the Lord is able to use us. And there's some lovely stories, aren't there, how the Lord has unexpectedly blessed people in certain circumstances. There's an interesting story told of William Gadsby's ministry he exercised a, a very powerful ministry and gathered a large congregation in Manchester in the early 1800s. And there were three young men that started to attend his chapel. And uh, he uh, felt quite pleased about it. And he thought to himself, now if these young men were converted, what an ornament they would be to my church. And he was quite honest about it. And he said, I went fishing after them. So he preached particularly with them in mind. And he saw no evidence whatsoever blessing in these young men's lives. I think they just left and went elsewhere. But then not long after, he had a request from someone he'd never heard of 
and said to him, Could you go and visit a certain boy? He's dying. And uh, Gadsby went off not knowing who this boy was. And apparently this boy was a crippled boy. And without other people noticing, he'd been coming in to the services. He didn't come into the main chapel. He just sat on the gallery steps after the service began. He went home before the service finished. He didn't want to be noticed. But those sermons that Gadsby was preaching with those three young men in mind were a blessing to this poor crippled boy. And now he was dying in a full assurance of faith. The sovereignty of God in the work of salvation, the mysterious way sometimes the Lord works, is a great comfort to us because there are many times, no doubt, when God has been pleased to bless the preaching of the word, but we may never hear about it, or we've distributed the word of God. What we, res- what we hear by way of letters of encouragement are only just, no doubt, a small part of what the Lord is actually doing through the work of the society and through the preaching of the gospel. Then we come to verse 6, which really is an expansion upon verse 1. One gives point and force to the other. Like a summary, a final exhortation. In the morning, sow thy seed, and in the evening, withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now, a person who doesn't know much about farming might imagine that in the olden days when the seed was broadcast by hand, it might look like just just throwing the seed away. But there's a purpose in it, isn't there? And so we are to go forth sowing the seed. And uh, whether it's morning or evening, we are to carry on doing the work. And uh, you think of people in the morning of Christian experience, young people who have come to know the Lord, be ready to serve the Lord in every way you can. And then those who have reached old age, the evening of life, don't give up. If there are still opportunities, seek to use them. Let me give an example. There's a lady I went to visit. I met her on a number of occasions in the island of Guernsey. I went to visit her own home. And uh, over a period of many years, she received from the society some hundreds of golden thoughts calendars. And she would send them out to people she knew, many people abroad as well. And she'd respond to the letters that came back to her. Well, I went to see her own home and she offered me some of her homemade jam. She was 107 and she was still going strong. She hadn't lost her zeal for the Lord. She died uh, nearly 110. Most remarkable lady who had this ongoing ambition to make known the word of God. Well, these are encouragements. Whether it's the morning of life or the evening, keep sowing the word, keep plodding on. I think of a, a pastor in Guatemala, he was 83, and uh, he, he wasn't pastoring a church by that stage, but he was sitting in his front room, and he had a PA system with a loudspeaker on the outside of his home, and he'd read the Bible to the whole community. And he said he'd delivered over a thousand messages by that means, and no one had complained, I'm surprised, but um, I don't know what would happen if you did that in Bedford, you'd probably be arrested or something, but in Guatemala you can get away with it apparently. But it's just a remarkable example how even semi-eccentric methods God can use for the blessing of people who hear the word. You know not what will prosper, either this or that, or whether both shall be alike good. Now, let me tell you something that was very encouraging to me, and I trust it will be encouraging to you. About the end of 2014, I was taking meetings down in Wiltshire, and I stayed overnight at a travel lodge in the morning, went over to the 
little chef for breakfast and I took with me a book I started to read about C.H. Spurgeon, Living by Revealed Truth by Tom Nettles. And I thought I'd read a few paragraphs when the breakfast was cooking. And uh, when the breakfast arrived, the waiter said, what are you reading? So I told her it was about Spurgeon, the famous Victorian preacher, and told her something about the message of the gospel he proclaimed. And rather disappointingly, she said, I'm interested in Buddhism. I said to her, what you really need to do is to read the Bible. Have you got a Bible? And uh, I said, I work for a Bible society, and I'm prepared to give you a Bible free of charge if you promise me you'll read it. And after some hesitation, she agreed to have a Bible in those terms. So I left with her a Bible and my contact details. Now, 12 months later, I went back to the same area to take meetings and went to the same travel lodge and little chef in the morning. And I said to the staff, does Sandra still work here? They said, no, she went back to her home country of Slovakia. So I thought, well, that's probably the end of that. Now, five years later, I received this message on my answer phone. I don't know whether you remember the girl at the restaurant in England, the really depressed, unhappy girl, and you gave her the Bible, and she promised you she would read the Bible. Well, she's reading the Bible now, and I am the girl. And I had a touch from Jesus this last December. That's uh, December 2019, I think, that work out at. And he filled me with his spirit, and now I'm reaching out to say thank you. And I'd love to have a proper conversation with you by Skype or something like that. Well, uh, I made a contact by phone initially, and she told me that what you didn't know was this, that the day before we met, I was so depressed, I was thinking about suicide. And she said, I prayed in all my confusion, I prayed that God might make himself known to me in some way. And she felt that our conversation that next day was the answer to that prayer. Now, five years passed before she started to read the Bible. She moved from one place to another, finding work, and kept promising herself once she got settled, she'd read the Bible, but it just didn't seem to happen until one day, after some months of getting involved in all sorts of strange and sordid New Age things, one man said to her, you're in the grip of the devil. What you need to do is read the Bible. Have you got a Bible? She said, yes, someone gave me a Bible in England and that was what prompted her in the end to start reading the Bible and the Lord blessed her through it. Now my wife and I have had many conversations with her via uh, WhatsApp video and so forth and uh, it's been quite encouraging to see how the Lord has been leading her on and teaching her in the ways of truth. She found initially many of her old friends started to drop off, they didn't want to have anything to do with her now, they didn't understand her anymore and her mother just couldn't understand her daughter's newfound joy. She could only think perhaps she was on drugs or something. But it was the joy of the Lord in salvation. Well, we pray for her because she feels quite alone in the town where she lives in Slovakia. But encouragingly, she listens in to the uh, live stream services here. She says, I feel quite comforted listening to these live stream services because I feel there are people I know that are connected with this church. So, Uh, We pray God will bless her and and use her. She's planning to put together a video, she tells me. I don't know quite what she's intending to incorporate in that video, but the way in which the Lord has blessed her through the Word, I think, is one of the things she wants to get across in that video. So be encouraged, sowing the seed of the Word. You don't know how and when the Lord may use your efforts to prayerfully pass on the Word of God. And uh, as the old hymn says, 
though small is all that we can do to please the King of Heaven, when hearts and hands and lips unite to serve the Saviour with delight, their precious, 